The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Steve Joll and the Art of War Coaches. Hiya folks and welcome to The Art of War. This is the podcast where we just teach you to get better. I say we, I'm not going to teach you anything, but we've got some experts in here to help teach you some cool stuff, how to get better with one particular faction of an army in 40k. So this is how it's going to work. We've got two parts of an episode uh, and in part one, we're going to break down a list. We're actually doing something really cool and a little bit different this week. So let me tell you, we're going to break down a list. We're going to uh, put a list together for an army, and then in part two, we're going to use that list. Okay, that's all normal, but the way we're doing it this time, instead of taking a player who's won a GT or taking a player who's had extraordinary success over the last little while and using the list that they've been using and talking about that list, what we're going to do is we're going to take a faction that maybe has a slightly older codex, maybe a faction that's struggling against some of the big guns out there at the moment, someone, someone that's been neglected for a little while, and we're going to use a couple of guys who know that faction really well, and we're going to build a list together through part one. And then in part two, we will take the agreed-upon list and just see how it's going to go against some of the bigger armies. Maybe look at some tricks and some tactics, some plays you can make using the list that we've built. This week, we are focusing on sisters. So uh, who better to have alongside me as co-host, the Boy King, a man who's had success with Marines and Bugs, but I think I'm right in saying finished as the number one sisters player in the ITC at the end of last year and in the top three in the ITC overall. John Lennon, good to see you, man. How you doing? Hello, hello. I'm happy to be back as always. Always happy to be here every week with you, Steve. And you know what? I am most happy to be talking about the most faithful faction in the game, the beautiful, wonderful, perfect, six-up, invulnerable Sisters of Battle. Uh, it's It's been too long. Um, it's a faction that I took uh, with a lot of success this summer, but uh, as the yeah. meta developed and I started painting new models, I'll, I'll admit I might have left them for a little bit, and it, it felt bad to be faithless. So uh, yeah. I actually played a couple games with them recently, kind of tried diving back into the book, writing some... Uh, right after they got a nerf, I was like, well, you know, I want to see what I can still do with them. And... Uh, they got a new Bloody Rose supplement recently, which, you know, was received with uh, not that much fanfare, frankly. It wasn't quite uh, Metallica, <laughs> but, but it was still, you know, I, I still really liked the faction and I wanted to, to take some games with it. And then I ended up playing it in our in our Streamhouse RTT, a big tournament that we just ran in-house uh, this past week. So uh, I got in a couple of games building up, just kind of getting my feet butt sisters again, played a couple more games in the RTT. And even though I wouldn't say that you're seeing Sisters of Battle in any... Uh, you know, any like Goonhammer reviews right now of the top threes of tournaments, I still feel like they're an interesting faction that, uh, that I want to talk about, and I missed them. And so, you know, we had to get another faction expert on. We were looking around, and I, I scoured far and wide to find a top player who was, uh, who was looking for Sisters of Battle, who was playing with them, and, uh, you know, I couldn't find any. But uh, we got the next best <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> we, went, we went to our very good friend's uh, it turns out when you Google sisters, you can find a whole podcast about it. So we were able to sneak a guest from there. Yeah. Let's introduce him from the sister act podcast, some sort of half English, half American abomination of 40 K, uh, Mitch Beard. Welcome to the show. Hello, John. Hi, Steve. So excited to be on the show is the, 
non-winning faction expert. Let's do this thing. You know what? I'll take it. I've done yeah. uh, I've I've done down under a couple of times. I'm done with this undercard business. On to the main show. So happy to be on here and chat about oh, the only faction that matters in 40k. <laughs> I'm so glad you you bill us as the main show. That's how I think of us as well. I, let's just get a note over to Blake Law and Brad Chester. This is the main event. They are undercard permanently forever. Um, okay, so here's the thing with the reason we want to do this, right? The reason we brought Mitch in, the reason we've got John here talking about sisters is because there are an awful lot of players who play factions that aren't top three table factions. Uh, there are an awful lot of people out there who are going every week or every month or every couple of months, whatever it might be, to an event, and, and they're taking factions like sisters. They're taking armies like sisters, and they know they're up against it. As a Space Wolves player, I can tell you, we know going into an event, we are up against it because there are custodies out there and there are Tau out there and there are Eldar now out there that can just kind of turn up and kick your butt. Uh, so what do you do? And this is the point of this is we want to give all of the people who play sisters and stay loyal to sisters and want to take sisters to an event. We want to give yeah. you something, man. We want to be able to, to give you some tricks in the list building process and then some tricks on the table, some tactics and strategies that you can actually use uh, whether you're going to end up on a top table, I don't know. But at least you can have fun at the event and be competitive in the games that you are going into. And, and maybe this will up your confidence a little bit. So the place where we want to start, guys, is our list. We're going to start with building a Sisters of Battle list. <laughs> it feels like the very first thing we need to do is agree on which type of sisters we're taking. So are these roses bloodied or are these hearts valorous? Oh, man. So, I mean, there's a lot to go through with Sisters right now, um, where when I was kind of coming back to the book, you know, after a couple months playing without it, I kind of tried to sit down and, like, figure out, like, what the strengths of the faction were and what I wanted to do. And um, kind of like, you know, I, I want to hear Mitch's uh, two cents of this because he's been playing the faction consistently, where I have absolutely been bandwagging on and off and will continue to do so without apologizing. But, uh, but I still like Sisters, so, so let's talk about them. So I'm absolutely on the Bloody Rose train. Because, or I should say that I, I am going into the chat. I'm, I'm open to have my mind changed here. Um, because I like punching people. So just to kind of give the quick comparison, I think Mitch and I are both in agreement that Valorous Heart and Bloody Rose are the two most interesting for us in the current meta. So Yeah, I, I agree. I yeah, agree. Is Bloody Rose your number two? Because Valorous Heart's my number two going in. There was a brief phase where a Martyred Lady was really, really interesting, and Stephen Box was doing well, and Brandon Grant was doing well, and they were both five and wanting, four and wanting at super major events. But I think those days have probably passed us, and I think we're probably down to those two orders as your your top candidates if you really want to do the best you can with the faction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So kind of what what I'm looking at is like I want to like figure out what sisters are best at. And then try to bring an order that's going to help that the most. So, you know, you got to play to your strengths. So when you look at sisters, you know, obviously you've got Miracle Dice as a mechanic. That's awesome where you can get some reliability into hits, wounds, saves, charges, damage, morale, whatever you need it. Um, you can build in that little bit of, of, you know, assuredness before you make a charge roll. That's really where I, I think it's most valuable is that you can kind of put your resources in to make sure one or two things swing your way. And... But like what sisters are fundamentally, I think of them as like a not that fast moving army that's pretty good at board control. They have pretty good short range damage output, but they don't have a ton of long range guns. And I, I'm trying to build like a board control list is kind of where I want to go with this. Um, and I look at what's in the meta right now. There's a lot of high damage things. And I'm thinking like I need to be able to get on these objectives 
and either scare them away before they run me over, or I need to survive through it. I need I need to be able to play in the middle of the board because these new knockman missions really reward people for going in the middle. You know, I, yeah. I think like at least for me personally, even after like the GT pack dropped, I actually haven't even played all nine of the knockman missions yet. So like sometimes I'm like kind of like talking about new armies as if I'm playing them on the old missions. And I feel like sisters need to kind of get up to date with the fact that they're going to have to go in the middle. Um, a lot of the lists that I used to run, I used to run a two orders, I used to run a Bloody Rose and Evan Chalice. I used to sit back and like take my to the last and kind of play around the edges. And maybe I'd send her a pinch after the, whoever stepped in the middle, but I would never put my army in the middle. And yeah. so immediately I'm thinking that the play style has to change for sisters. And that's kind of what I'm thinking about going into it. Um, do you have any thoughts? Like, just like, you know, before we try to pick an order, I kind of want to like settle on where sisters are right now and what they need to do and kind of let that shape the decision. I, I agree with you that fundamentally, when you think about sisters competitively, they are a full control army and they are a counter punching army. We have no real range guns. We have no way to do horrible damage outside of 24 inches, which means we're only going to hurt you if you get close. And the only reason you're going to get close is because we're holding the point or threatening to hold the point. And that's kind of the game we want to play. Um, when you think about board control, my mental model is one, I can threaten space by hiding behind a wall, say with Repentia, they're going to advance and charge and have a miracle dice, really long, long charge. I can either hold tons of space with tons and tons of models, like 170 racks, for example, or I can have something really tough and durable that I ball up and say, come at me, bro. I'm not going to go anywhere unless you really commit hard into me at the moment in this meta. I think sisters really struggle to do the first of those, which is where, John, I would argue you had the most success last summer. Uh, when Bloody Rose or Pencha are good, sisters feel real good about the meta. When they're not, it's like a bellwether, right? That's the uh-oh moment. Uh, <laughs> it really does. They don't kill custodies at all. Um, at all. Because they're a very uh, re reliant unit. They are. Um, otherwise, they're just like strength six jerks hitting half the time, which is not that impressive. And they die to indirect very, very easily. So. In a world of custodies and strong indirect coming from Eldar, coming from Tau, it's very hard to justify that kind of tradey thing. So it makes me think, can I take the point, expose myself, and not immediately die? And that's why you're going to find me arguing for Valor's Heart in this episode, because I think that's our best path forward. Can I ask them, uh, both of you, for folks who don't know Sisters as well, or maybe players just getting into Sisters, or or maybe they've been playing Amata Lady or whatever else, what do those two give you? What does Bloody Rose give you? What does Valorous Heart give you as a sisters player? What are the benefits of playing each? Okay. Do you want to take it, uh, take it first, Mitch? Sure. So I'll start with Valorous Heart. Valorous Heart actually is a remarkably good package. Like typically you'll find one or two really questionable things in the order specific one. Valorous Heart really hits the mark across the board. So their army-wide rules are you get AP reduction. So AP1 goes to zero. AP2 goes to AP1 for everything, including your vehicles. And the other benefit is you get a five-up shrug against all mortal wounds of any kind. Those are the two basic ones. Um, their stratagem is also excellent. Their stratagem allows you to just ignore hit mods when you shoot or fight. That includes, say, the hit mods for walking retributors and firing a heavy weapon. So you can hit on threes, coming out of reserves, coming out of rhino, whatever. I ignore all of your debuffs on that front. And their relic, shockingly decent, it's called the Casket of Penance, three-inch aura of minus one toughness. So you're like a mini Death Guard aura just around that one character. A bit of hot tech we've kind of realized has real value in the current meta um, in Sisterslandia, but the whole package is pretty solid overall. Yeah. Do, yeah, do they come with a good. useful? Do they come with a useful warlord trade, or is that a 
the warlord trait is situational. It allows you to put a pretty decent five-up shrug on the warlord. You can combine this with relics to make a character hilariously tanky. Like, you can get up to, like, a six-wound cannonist, which reduces all incoming damage to one, no matter the original value, and then you shrug it a third of the time. So you can be obnoxiously hard to kill if you want to build that cannonist. I, I'm not convinced, but it is a thing that you can do. So that's also kind of got a bit of value. And then you can stand that cannonist up again after she's chopped through a whole unit of space marines and then dies to a character, and you can stand her up again and have at it. I remember the good days when we killed Space Marines. Do you remember those days, John, when they were a thing that we got to kill? <laughs> I barely remember playing in Space Marines. <laughs> so, so okay. what does Bloody Rose have? So Bloody Rose, by comparison, um, their main benefit is it's all combat-oriented. So their, their trait gives them plus one attack and plus one AP in combat when they uh, they charge our charged or hurrock. Um, so they, they hit a little bit harder than your normal, your normal sister. Um, I, it's honestly just the plus one AP, uh, it's no longer on pistols, it used to be pistols, it's now just combat, but basically they get shock assault and they're an assault doctrine, and that is just generically good if you're trying to make your whole army better at combat. Plus one attack on characters is nice, plus one AP is nice if they're already carrying weapons, I find it really matters on, like, the normal girls, and, like, the squads is where Bloody Rose is nice. Um, as far as, um, stratagems go, their stratagem is, a in, in combat, an unmodified six to hit automatically wounds which uh, is very useful for tearing down uh, bigger units. So, you know, it makes your, your big, you know, tons of attack units that just go in there with some rerolls, makes them a little better in combat. Their Warlord trait is nice. It's an advance in charge and a plus one attack for the Warlord. It just makes a kind of a, a beat stick character just a little bit better. And then their Relic is uh, a little situational, but it's, it's a Relic Chainsword Beneficence, uh, which many may remember from the old Codex, that uh, gives the user plus three attacks or an additional three plus D3 if they're... Um, within uh what three inches of six enemy models so just yep. a ton of attacks it's a it is a damage one so it's definitely an elf meta not a custodes meta kind of a weapon but uh across the board i really just like it for the generic plus one attack uh, i will point out that uh there is a bloody rose supplement and the best thing out of that that i found so far is that for one cp you can scout move a rhino nine inches at the beginning of the game that's the big draw of inches. the Oh, it is 12 inches? Regular move, yeah. Oh, just a normal move. No kidding. Maybe it's 9 inches You've been away. handicapping yourself, John. I, indeed, I have. Actually, I haven't used it, like, at all. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> Never um, mind. But that's the appeal of Blade Rose, is getting, like, the whole army a little bit better in combat, so that whenever you get in a big grind in the middle, Bloody Rose just hits harder. Right. But, uh, <clears throat> again, I don't want to reference Space Wolves all the way through this, but it does feel a bit like, you know, the, the problem then becomes getting them to that combat, you know, or then you're faced with, like, you go into the middle and then custodies come into the middle and then they just smash your face in anyway. But, um, yeah, it's like all your combat is for naught because then you die. But uh, so let's let's look at remembering that this part of the, uh, the show is about building a list. We're going to have to figure out, um, I don't know if you guys want to agree Valorous Heart or Bloody Rose is the, is the way forward, or if we can look at some of the units we can plug in. I feel like we've got to figure out which way we're going first and then start, you know, because if it's Valorous Heart, then things like Melters become extra good. Um, if it's Bloody Rose, maybe you want a little more combat. I don't know. Do you guys want to figure out which one has got to be the way forward and then start plugging in your characters and then that automatically leads to relics and mortal traits and so on? Mm-hmm. John, so, I'm on a mission. I gotta convert you, man. We gotta go the Valorous Heart route. I, all right, we gotta uh, let's talk through this. let's let's start off Valorous Heart. Let's let's write the list as if it's Valorous Heart, 
I'm open to the idea. Um, I the last game I played with sisters involved me getting shot at by a lot of AP two. So I'm I'm willing to hear the argument right now. After feeling all the night spinners and the warp spiders, I was like, huh, all this is AP two. Interesting. Um, so I'm I'm willing to hear it. I'm willing to hear it, Mitch. Let's uh let's start off as if we're going Valor's heart. So you know it's really good into AP two shooting when you have a two up save, you reduce it to one, and you're sitting in cover, and I, they don't ignore it. And you There's keep not that a lot two of two up, up saves so. in the book, so I think I know where this is going. Yeah. So Games Workshop tried to hold us down with a two point nerf. I'm going to explicitly blame John for this for his success in the middle of last year <laughs> in the in the, uh, in the balance sheet, but they did not keep us down. This list starts with 30 sacrosins, baby. 16 points a model. I don't care that they went up. Two up, four up. They hit on twos if you charge them. They're minus one to wound in combat for a one CP stratagem. They have bodyguard. They have heroic intervention. They are tough as nails as Valor's Heart. And they are the core of this list, I think. It's hard to say that sisters deserved any kind of a nerf because I don't think they did. But also the fact that Sacrosons went up two points model and they are still 100% being taken makes me wonder if they deserved plus two points. I think I just would have liked like minus two on Battle Sisters at the same time to call it even. But uh, yeah, Sacrosons, I'm with you. If you're going Valorous Heart, I think 30 Sacrosons is where the list starts. Um, I mean, and I honestly, I think, by the way, that if we're going Bloody Rose, we are also at 30 Sacrosons right now. I was running really? 19. Full 30. I was running 19 before. I think I'm willing to go the full 30. They they were the probably the best part of the list when I was running the Bloody Rose. Uh, if I had 10 more built, they would already be in. As it is, I might actually go grab some snippers because I'm pretty sure I've got some more Sacrosons in the closet somewhere. Get, get those Sacrosons <laughs> out of the closet, John. <laughs> Absolutely. They're, they're going off the closet into the, into the table. So, <laughs> so do we need to... Do we need to look at uh, building around um, secondaries that you feel like sisters would be good at? Or are we just going to throw, okay, these are the strong units, and then we look at the secondaries? Which way do you want to do it? So I know Mitch and I are going to disagree on this one. Um, but mm-hmm. we're, we're going to agree on one thing, which is that we have to build in a no mercy, no respite secondary in. And I 100%. think, so, which is the to the last category, which is what I call it because I always take to the last. I'm don't think Mitch is a big fan of To the Last. I'm remembering correctly. I, I think To the Last is a great secondary. It is absolutely built around. It's not my personal preference how I like to play Sisters, but it abs- absolutely is topper, and you wouldn't find me argue otherwise. I think it's perfectly... I think it's difficult to build a list without a good To the Last option in it. And if you're trying to go X and 1, probably close to mandatory. Probably. But Sisters yeah. do have a good faction secondary. Probably, I would say our best faction secondaries in this category, which is Leap of Faith. Yep. And Leap of Faith uh, is very good if you have a lot of Miracle Ice to spend. Um, basically, you get like two or three points every turn, depending on how many Miracle Ice you spend, and depending on if it's your opponent's turn, I suppose. Um, I think you get three points if you uh, if you spend three Miracle Ice in your opponent's turn. Other than that, it's going to be one or two. Um, I, I've always found that Leap of Faith is difficult to build around because you need to have a lot of Miracle Ice generated to comfortably do it. So there, there's kind of a question of you either build in to the last to the list, or you build in really good Miracle Ice generation, is kind of how I find it goes. And you really need to make that choice before you start the game. You can't make that choice at the table. You're going to take one of those two secondaries if your opponent doesn't give up any prisoners. You either need to decide to put in good to the last, or to put in good Miracle Ice generation to get that, uh, 
get that uh, leap of faith in. Is that kind of how you I feel? I actually want to... S- I want to slightly disagree with you on this because I've actually had little trouble building lists that can do both. Uh, if you're willing to accept that you're okay getting a 10, like a 9, a 10, or 11, but not guarantee a 12, which is the maximum you can get for a leap of faith, it's actually very attainable. Um, so the first thing you do is every list that I run, I will pay a command point to take the extra warlord trait, which is uh, Beacon of Faith. Uh, Beacon of Faith gives the bearer a private miracle dice that only they can use. But they can use it in addition to the one restricting for the phase. So if your battle sisters advance to flip an objective, you can also pointlessly advance this character just to use a miracle. And that's two miracles in the move phase. Now you've got a scored a point. If I use a miracle dice in a charge, now I've scored two points. And all I did was what I kind of wanted to do anyway. If you do that alone, combine with the one you get for kills, combine with the one you get for losing characters, oftentimes that will get you pretty close to that eight to ten mark. The other nice thing about this is. If you're not taking to the last, it means your warlord is expendable because your warlord is probably going to die because otherwise you would have taken to the last. Yep. Let's say you take the ball, for example. Um, there's this great stratagem called martyrdom. Nice, clean name. Normally, when a character dies, you get one, one miracle dice into the phase. For one command point, if it's your warlord, you get two plus D3 additional ones. So your warlord basically explodes in a firework of dice. And if you're getting like an extra three, four, five dice for that in that one moment, that could be what you need to get you to that 10 to that 12 by the end of the game. Assuming you're careful with management and you backload the dice to throw a miracle dice, score three points in your opponent's turn, failing saves, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just like use miracles for no reason. If you do that, you can consistently score and still have it to the last. Yes, 100%. So I think, so one, one of the interesting points here is that, again, you look at, um, and you just mentioned Morvan Vol. Um, I feel like Morvan Vol is actually the linchpin of how, you're, how I'm building the list, is making that yes. choice is Morvan Vol in. Morvan Vall is, she went up in points as well. At 280 points, I still think she is worth it for her points, if that's the kind of list you want to build. I really like her. She is amazing. Um, I actually haven't been taking her recently, so I kind of want to take something to talk about Vall, because I, I actually think that Mitch and I are going to decide on whether or not we have Vall on this list, and then like three other decisions are going to immediately lock in for me. I was like, what are we doing? Yeah. Vall is very expensive at 280. She's going to be a to the last if you were taking that. Vall is going to be one of them. She has to be your warlord, which means that if she's your warlord, you she is not worth throwing away for a three plus d three miracle dice. Um, because I mean, it may be late game when you like really need them, but in general, you're not intentionally killing Vol. She is very important. Yes. <laughs> so if you take Vol, I think I I'm le- at that point. I'm trying to make sure I've got two other good to the last lineup. If not, I'm making my most disposable character the warlord, and she's gonna go do something for the emperor. Uh, maybe get martyred, yeah. and then and now you you have really good options Immediately. for leap of faith. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so she's a good leap of faith option um, to just go like stand on objectives, and if if they shoot her to death, she can stand up. If they charge her so that she guaranteed dies, then you just fountain the miracle ice off. Um, so I think why I are think, all the canonists in the order of Lenin's Rose so young? I didn't. So this feels like it was from my, my opponent's blood. It's from my characters. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like, as you just said, John, like a real linchpin decision. This is a critical decision. Yeah. Like having having Morvan Vale in that that decision then decides is it going to be to the last or exactly. leave faith, and then that decision kind of helps with whatever else happens. So what are, what are we saying, in or not in? Um, so I wasn't taking her in my last list because the Bloody Rose supplement is very poorly written, but I am personally inclined yeah. to take Morvenval. She does give rerolls, which are 
very not as useful into custodies, but I still like having them because it forces your opponent to spend CP in a specific spot. And I'm personally going to argue for Vol in as the Warlord. I think she, and this isn't just my opinion. There's a lot of Sisters players trying to make variants of this list work. I would say the opinion of the community is nearly unanimous for the players really trying this hard. She's mandatory. It's not even a question. She must go in the list or the list does not function as intended. Yep. Um, I, so I'll admit we did a tier a power ranking um, like a couple months ago of the best named characters in Warhammer. And I put Morvenval as number one. She has gone up in points and Trajan has come out since that point. But still think she is a, a very, very strong character. I, I say she's in as well. So there's a couple well, of reasons why you need her in the list. Uh, if you're starting with 30 sacrosins, it means your list is slow. It means your list is going to get hit very, very hard. And it also means the only way you get speed is by charging things for that extra bonus movement, which means your sacrosins also need to hit hard. And spoiler alert, 20 attacks, two attacks each from Valor's hard sacrosins, not impressive. You need those rerolls to land the punch. With rerolls, they become monsters, especially if you give them the plus one attack from a priest nearby. Suddenly, 31 attacks, full hit and room rerolls is silly town and i think it really lights up the sacrosins it makes them massively more scary and then vol herself is a monster in combat too i mean she's got five attacks four re-rolls ten attacks four rolls with a sweet profile she's just dangerous and she's bodyguarded by them and you know how much i love bodyguard <laughs> you gotta yeah. use it so okay so here's the list so far so we haven't even discussed what detachment this is going to be i actually if i'm being honest with you whenever i start writing a list on battle scribe I always just make a battalion, and I just start putting yep. everything in it. And at the end, I decide if it's two outriders, if it's a patrol, if it if it actually managed to fit in a battalion. And then, like when it comes to the tournament, I'll like I'll actually redo the list in the right detachment. Or normally, I just copy and paste the battle scribe, and I go in and just backspace through battalion and type in outrider <laughs> or whatever the case yep. may be. Because um, so we know we've got more of Vol. There's probably going to be at least one more HQ. I don't think we need to choose her yet. We know there are thirty sacrosins. I kind of want to talk troops yeah. real quick. Actually, Steve, what you got for me? Well, I was going to bring that up. Troops, uh, you mentioned the new missions, and it feels like uh, a lot of people who know more than me and uh, smarter brain people than I are uh, are saying that troops are really important now. You know, uh, particularly, and again, going back to the secondaries that you want to take, if you're looking at things like retrieving noctarious data, <laughs> Mitch, this is John's thing. He calls it noctarious data. I don't <laughs> know why. Noctarious data? But I, I, I find it's better to just placate him by pretending that that's what it is. So let's do that. <laughs> so if you're going to retrieve Noctarius data uh, in the game, then you're going to want, you know, five-person troops units that are guaranteed to be able to achieve that. Um, you know, those those decisions need to be made as well at the stage of building the list, right? So uh, if you're talking about a battalion, then you're going to have three troops. In sisters' armies, and this is a question for both of you, in sisters' uh, battalions or whatever we're going to call them, in sisters' faction, are troops good enough that you want to bring three guaranteed or are you steering away from them? What's the decision there? So this is a really hard question because sisters have two options in the troop slot. One of them is really good and one of them is really terrible. And the problem <laughs> is, so let me, let me give the names here. I personally have the opinion that, uh, uh, whatever they're called, novitiates are very good. And I'm of the opinion that battle sisters are very bad. And novitiates have a rule that oh. you cannot take more novitiates than battle sisters in detachment. Because GW knew that I would never take a battle sister again if I didn't have to. <laughs> and I would take nothing. 
I would put 60 novitiates in the list without blinking if I didn't have a battle sister tax. But now you kind of look at it as a package where uh, a novitiate squad's 55, a battle sister squad is 55. So, or sorry, 75 and 55. Um, so I just kind of look at it as like a two troop package for uh, 130 points. And how many of those 130 point packages I want is a really good question that I haven't actually decided on yet. So, at, at risk of being random guy who talks in a microphone versus number one sisters player uh, last year, John, I actually think you're uh, you're being a little hard on the battle sisters, my friend. <laughs> I agree with you. Fifty five points is a lot, but an obsec unit that I can guarantee the advance roll with miracle dice has a lot of play, and I don't I don't have anything wrong with that. I'm fine with that being a thing. I mean, they're not they're not as bad as like I say they are. They're just kind of overcosted. It's still a 55-point obsec unit that can be kind of durable at times and um, isn't really going to punch hard, isn't going to shoot hard, but it's durable for, for an 11-point model. And yeah, Miracle Dice getting them around, I've still found value in them to the point where I am, I am willing to, to admit, to put them in the list. I'm not just going to say we run a Vanguard and stop there. But um, I, I'm definitely willing to put some Battle Sisters in just because 55-point troop units are good. And I like having little things that charge in with the big units who then get to move, pile, yeah. and consolidate and just kind of just splash some obsec around. Um, that's actually one of the places where I found, found Miracle Ice to be valuable is once you get to the point where you're making charges, no matter what, like you don't really need to Miracle Ice them, you start putting the Miracle Ice into the troops and like the little units to get them very far. And then they get yep. the pile and consolidate after the Sagerstons finish beating up, you know, whatever, uh, you know, like a single Custodes jet bike or something. Um, and then you just start piling all over the place. So I can get some troops in here. So the question would be, are there other units that will do things like retrieve Nocturious data better than troops that you can, say, for example, uh, Deep Strike for free and bring in so that yep. you don't have to take troops to do it, and maybe then you can look at building an Outright or a Vanguard or whatever. Uh, and I'm thinking, say, for Necrons, I've got Lich Guard, which, sure, that's 60 points for a group of six to guarantee the the R&D goes off, but they deep strike for free and they're really small bases. So you can bring them into a tight little corner that, you know, it's, it's tough for the opponent to screen out. So do sisters have something like that in their, in their book? So the classic answer to your question, well, apart from yes, is Seraphim <laughs> are, are very good right. at this. So you can take six Seraphim with four hand flamers uh, for 104 points. They can deep strike for free wherever you want, nine inches away. Because they have a stratagem to shoot in the movement phase when they drop, you can drop them, shoot them, and then start triggering the action because you, as the, as the active player, control which happens first. So being able to drop flame 46 strength four shots because sisters get plus one strength in all their flame weapons, and then knock them on data, or just flame again if you're feeling barbecue day. Uh, is is pretty compelling. And I think it's the conventional answer to how do I retrieve knockman data? How do I engage? How do I get into a back little corner? The other thing that they can do is they have a strategy to go back up into the sky and come back down the next turn. There have been way more than one game where they've dropped in one corner, retrieved knockwind data, gone up the next turn, come down turn five and got me that 12. It happens shockingly often in my games. Um, I think for a secondary game, it's hard to not take them and keep that open to you, my opinion. You could also take Zephyrim, but they punch instead of shoot. Uh, they're 104, 104 two points at 104 points for six of them. So similar kind of a thing, just different damage when they land. Yeah. Um, I What I've kind of been a fan of is that um, 
I, I don't think sisters like completely rely on their stratagems, but I still think that I want to try to fit the list in the battalion. So I'm personally, I'm, when I'm looking at troops, I think I want two battle sister squad, two novitiate squads. And that, even in Valorous Heart. Even in Valorous Heart. Because, you know what? Valorous Heart sisters in cover are pretty good. The big thing is that um, I'm used to, I, when I played sisters last, I had Evan Chalice for CP regen. And because we're now mono order, I'm not going to get, you know, two detachments, one of each sister's order. So that, that's a big change for me as well. Because, uh, you know, that's just happened in Nockman. Uh I still think I want it because if I'm going to take a battalion, like the list isn't going to fit in patrol. So I, I either am. 100% no. I'm either losing three command points for a vanguard or I'm taking another 55-point sister unit. Because my logic is the, the battle sisters are the tax. If I take battle sisters, I'm going to take that many uh, novitiates uh, every time. Uh, novitiates, 75 points for a, a girl with three attacks each in Valorous Heart and you know still get the invuln even if they only have four armor. I think the novitiates are great. So my inclination here is that I'm going to go battalion two battle sister squads, two novitiate squads. And kind of see where the points land. Um, there is I, the option of going I think patrol we'll vanguard. Find you cut that second one. Yeah, I think you'll cut that second one when we're done with the list. But I totally can see the first one being a twenty-point upgrade in the battle sisters for a lot of utility. It just bodies are harder to kill than less. More bodies harder to kill than less bodies. So exactly. It's durable too. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to start with that. I, I I'll admit if we come back and the list is twenty seventy-five. Okay, fine. <laughs> but I want to start yeah. with the men. <laughs> right. Fair. Always Fair. start with the men and then cut later. You know? Exactly. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. So at the moment, we've got Morgan Val, uh, Morgan Val, we've got four troops units, we've got 30 sacrosaints for sure. Do we want to look at other characters, or do we want to look at things like the Seraphim, mm -hmm. Seraphim um, situation? I go, go ahead. Oh, yeah, well, I already put the Seraphim squad in as well. Um, 104 point, you know, the hand flamers that auto knockman data is. Um, I had cut Seraphim for a while from my list, but I think with Eldar being a T3 army back in the meta, I think I am now warm to flamers again. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Just I, one Seraphim squad? I, I, I just have yes. one. Because they can always go back yeah. into reserve, and they when they go right. find a corner, they often get ignored, I find. Just want to put it out there, John. On average, six Seraphim with four Hand Flamers will get four Sisters of Silence. So you can spike up and clear them and still get your Knockman data. And if you shoot twice, you will almost certainly clear them if the Custodian left them on their backfield objective carelessly. So they can't, so they have to put something real back there. It's not bad. Yeah, it's, it's good value. Plus, you know, if you need to, you can kill the last one on the charge if you've got some Miracle by Sandy. Yep. All right. And they and they do good things against uh, pointy-eared models, and they do good things against, oh. uh, you know, gaunt-sized models and that sort of stuff, right? So there's still, you know, and there's still plenty of play in those armies that you will yeah. come up against. Yeah, and they're also good at killing crew and fire warriors. So, like, I, I think that I... Yeah. Uh, ability to kill chaff is very important, sisters because you don't just get to shoot down range with your whole army. So you need to yep. be able to kill chaff units without committing, you know, meltas. Because that is the worst feeling in the world, is when you realize you have to bring the meltas out to stop your opponent's primary. And they're, they're yeah. like, oh, oh, my tanks have been waiting for this. And I'm like, yeah, I bet they have. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the worst thing is when the opponent drops a unit in, a chaff unit in, to, and that's going to get them points, so you have to deal with it. You don't want to have to send, you know, your whole squad of Wolfen, or <laughs> in your case, a whole squad of something really expensive back there to do it, right? So, um, yeah, I love that, and I love, uh, I love the idea also 
Because I feel like this is something that, and, and John, we've had so many episodes with so many people who talk about those chaff units doing things like retrieving Nakman data or engaging on all fronts. Those little units are so important in, in every army build now that having something that can just deal with them that doesn't kind of sacrifice your movement forward or you're going to get your objectives is is equally important, right? Yeah, I yeah. I love that. Seraphim are a Nakamond unit that can kill your opponent's Nakamond unit. Like, <laughs> right. if your opponent has, like, a, a, a six-man Vespid floating around, I can go kill the Vespid and Nakamond myself, and I feel good about that with Seraphim. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan I, of them, I think they're in. I don't think you can take Nakamond without a squad of Seraphim in this list, because the list isn't fast. No. It's, You're just it's giving up the secondary. Yeah, 100%. So... Here's um here's where we get spicy. I, Steve already mentioned characters. Um, if this is a battalion, well, we need a second HQ. Morvan Vol is a Supreme Commander, but she can go in a battalion because she's an HQ choice Supreme Commander, not a Lord of War Supreme Commander. So she almost always mm-hmm. ends up in the battalion anyway because I don't want to take Morvan Vol and then fill out my HQ slots. Um, Morvan Vol is a captain and a lieutenant and a Gulliman all in one. So you don't need the mm-hmm. Canis and Palatine from the traditional perspective of I want my rerolls. But the nice part is that the uh, the Canis and the Palatine can bring along the uh, the miracle thingies that I just blanked on the name of. Mitch, save me here. Blessings. 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 Thank you. Uh, they're kind of the points of praise that you can put on characters to get different abilities. They only go on a Canis or Palatine. So if you want any of those, you do have to bring either a Canis or a Palatine. So there are two Blessings really worth talking about for this kind of a list. Mm-hmm. The first is Word of the Emperor. It's a 40-point upgrade. Uh, Word is the one which is kind of the heavy hitter of the six. So every blessing comes with a once per game in your command phase, burn a miracle dice, you get an aura until your next command phase. The size depends on the miracle dice you burn. And then uh, an ongoing effect. So the word ongoing effect is start of the fight phase, pick you within three inches, fight last. Straight up point at you fight last within three inches. Incredible. Uh, And then the activated ability is turn off from vulnerable saves for all of your order units that punch them. So Vol still doesn't get that because she's not following the order, but all your sacrosins are suddenly punching without invulnerable saves. In a world where you're going to get punched, in a world where they might dive on Morvan Vol, being able to fight last makes Vol an enormous problem because you can't shoot her. She's got 30 sacrosins nearby. If you charge her, she's going to punch you first, as will the sacrosins that heroic on you when you charge her. So good luck. And it's easy to make her smite immune too. So you're like, oh no. I can't do anything about her. It's a huge way to protect you from getting charged, and I think it's nearly mandatory. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to the conversation about which uh, characters you're taking, but I just love that you wrote the script just then for the trailer to the movie about Morvan Val. <laughs> in a where you're going to get punched. <laughs> in a world where you have no involved. Just love that. Thanks for doing that, for the producers. Of, I hope Warhammer Plus. Emma Plus is listening because it's happening. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. So, oh man, um, Word of the Emperor, I agree, is a great one. Um, I, I've really loved it. The problem is that I want to take like three of them, and I'm not taking I know. three Canonists slash Palatines in addition to all because they only bring the, the Word of the Emperor as unique buffs. Or not, or the, I'm sorry, the Blessings as unique buffs because the rerolls are yeah. already taken care of by Vol. So you really kind of have to choose which one you want. Word of the Emperor is a lead contender. I'm curious what your second one is, because I can think of two that I distinctly want in addition to Word of the Emperor. Yeah, so the other one that I really like is Emperor's Grace. 
Mm-hmm. So the on on always on ability is a, is is irrelevant. Uh, you regen wounds; it doesn't matter. The once per game activated ability is in that range, which can be three or six inches. It'll probably be three six three inches until your next command phase in shooting and combat. No hit rerolls, no wound rerolls, no damage rerolls, baby. Turn off the rerolls. If you have thirty sacrosins, reducing AP. Can't charge him because there's a fight last in a vault nearby, and suddenly you can't reroll. Maybe they survive a tough shooting phase. <laughs> Maybe two or three of them make it out the other side. I think it's a strong contender as well. And irritatingly, this is the one you want against Tau, and you want Word of the Emperor against Custodes. So pick your poison. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really big on on that one on Emperor's Grace. I love the no rerolls, even if it's once per game. Yeah, healing the character who carries it is rarely going to matter, but it's cute. You know, it's not, I like to remember I have it. It hasn't come up yet. But the no rerolls I love because the army is kind of slow, which means your opponent often gets to dictate when they come at you. So if you sit back and you pop no rerolls and they can ignore you for a turn, they will. But I love that there is going to be a time where I'm like, I have to go forward because I'm a little bit slow and you're, you're just going to outrange and pick me. So I'm going to push onto all the objectives. And this is the turn you cannot reroll hits or wounds against my army. And yep. that just, to me, that really makes me excited. And that's really what I want to have. Um, I actually, for Valorous Heart, I'm inclined to pick this over Word of the Emperor. Which, in, in Bloody Rose, I took Word of the Emperor because I like fight lasts and uh, ignore influence of extra AP. I'm genuinely willing to look at the uh, at Word of the Emperor over it. Because I, I don't think if you take Vol... I don't think you can get both. I think it just becomes too character heavy if you take Vol and a Canonus and a Palatine. To just, I mean, you get a lot of rerolls in a lot of different spots, but I mean, I think that the list is gonna just gonna be kind of too burdened by characters if we take both because they're not cheap upgrades, unfortunately. You think there's any way we get both in, or are we are we having to pick one here, Mitch? Uh, I think if I think it's an option to take both. I don't think it's a settled debate. In Sisters Landia, I don't think there's a best list, a best list which is solved for this yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, an open question. I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit. Another thing we haven't talked about is: Do you take Celestine in this list? Now she's 200 points. If you take Celestine, 100, you take zero or one of these blessings. If you don't take Celestine, maybe you have the points. So I don't know. Okay. I think so, for this list, let's just take the one and then roll with it and see where we're at. Yeah. I will say, though, I am leaning against Celestine, which pains me to say because she was one of my favorite parts when I was playing Sisters last summer. Um, really, I, I love her. But I think that her her damage output is no longer well-suited for the meta. And when you shut off her rerolls, I find she's not worth 200 points. And if the other yep. units need Vol's rerolls and Celestine isn't the one getting them, they're a lot less valuable. Um, so I, I am with you. Yeah, I, I think we've you, also John. seen an increase in units that can go into Celestine and kill her in one go, even through Miracle Ice, where we look at like Eldar Howling Banshees who charge and do like D3 plus two mortals. And yeah. now it's like, great, the Gemini are dead. Can Celestine tank, you know, a, a giant whirlwind of, you know, wounding on two Banshees? Probably not. Uh, so I, I've just seen too many units yeah. come in that can kill Celestine in one go. Because the play that Celestine used to be that you would like, you would like stretch her across, uh, you know, away from the bodyguards onto an objective and be like, aha, I'm 12 inches away from my bodyguards, but you still can't shoot me because of, you know, Gemini and I'm on an objective and I heroic six, and I'll kill anything that gets near me. And I just don't think she really kills anything that gets near her anymore. And I think she's too vulnerable to getting charged. So I'm leaving Celestine at home for now, but we're keeping Vol in. 
and we're taking at least a Cannonus or a Palatine. Uh, I'm leaning Cannonus because uh, I just like her better. Um, yeah. And uh, we, we take that Cannonus and we're taking one of the upgrades on her. So yeah. are we going to agree on this? Where did the Emperor versus uh, Emperor's Grace? I mean, I think it's it's truly a meta call. What are you more scared of right now? I think I'm more scared of Tau. I think the, the Valor's Heartless legitimately has a game into Custodes. Like, I think, I think it's like a 50-50 matchup for two high school players where they both know what they're doing. I don't have conviction Tau's a 50-50 matchup, so let's let's take uh, Grace and turn off rerolls. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll admit I live with Richard, so, <laughs> you know, that does <laughs> yeah. color my opinion a little bit. Yeah, I mean, sisters so, hate indirect, right? So, yeah, I, I feel everybody like everybody hates indirect, man. Unlike everyone else, yeah, who loves it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Space Marines really love coming up against indirect. Um, Morvan Val and a Canon S. So we got two. Do we need a third? I think I think two is enough for now. Okay. Um, All right. So Morvan Val, a Canon S. We got four troops units. We've got thirty sacrosancts and a Seraphim unit. Yep. We haven't fi- finished the characters yet, though. We missed at least one really important character. John well, was on the we, we, we need a priest. At a bare minimum, we need a priest right. list because uh, you, when you're not Bloody Rose, you need a plus one attack. Uh, you can take Ministorum Priest or you can take a Dogmata or a Dialogus. Um, I'm a big fan of the Dogmata because the Dogmata makes units obsec and Sacrosons love being obsec. Auto take. Yep. Yeah. Also, a nice other benefit of the Dogmata is that. You kind of need to be using all your units, and the Dogmata lets you action and shoot. So when a couple of these missions just involve a ton of actions, and you know it's nice to get your Retributors out and Knockmen with them, and then shoot them. And that actually has come up a couple times for me, and I've been like, oh wow, I'm really glad I have this Dogmata here. Okay, yeah, so... Yeah, the first time you put Obsec and full rerolls and plus one attack onto your Sacrosons and send them into midboard, you'll never look back. You'll never look back. 100%. It's never happened. <laughs> that is a good time turning off people's rerolls. It's just like I'm now listening to you guys. I'm wondering why we're not seeing sisters. I, like, I, I really so you know, I'll, I'll say it out loud and I'm because we have to acknowledge it. Sisters are sitting at a I think they had a 37% win rate this past weekend. Um huh. sisters win rate has been in the, it's been bad. Like, let's let's not sugarcoat it. The sisters' win rate has been really, really bad. And one of the reasons I wanted to do the sisters' episode was because I'm like, no, they're so much better than that. Like, have have they seen brighter days? Absolutely. Are they that bad? No, they're not. So I I really so, was like wanted to get onto sisters because I saw how poorly they were doing. I'm like, no, 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 we have to fix this. John, now I refuse to believe you think they were in ultramarines territory prior to your ultramarines dreadnought list. <laughs> I refuse to think they've fallen that low. <laughs> They haven't fallen that low yet, but yeah, it's, I, I like the broken thing sometimes. Okay. So uh, we, we know Ultramarines are bad because in previous episodes, John doesn't even talk about them anymore. It's like when we're doing the, okay, armies, armies that your list will come up against, don't even worry about Marines, any kind of Marines. Oh, man. Um, I, just to hit you back there, the average win rate over February has been more like 46 to 48%. That 37 is definitely an aberration. Yeah, um, I don't think that's going to stick, but... If you take Tau Stodies out of the current meta, everybody's win rate goes up, obviously, because they have like a 70% win rate and they're a quarter of the meta right now. But sisters go to like a 55% win rate with Tau Stodies removed. So actually, they have like decent game into like everybody else. So if you can solve those two matchups, I think they're actually fine. I think they can be an X in one faction, but you got to work at it. Absolutely. And I think you absolutely tailor for those. And, and we don't have win rate data on Eldar yet, but we expect them to be popular and strong. 
So I think you build for those three. Yeah. Um, and you just say that you're going to try to outplay the rest because I think sisters have great, like totally have played into Drew Curry. Um, like even when Drew Curry were at their best, I always felt like sisters played well, could play into Drew Curry better than most because uh, it wasn't an army that strictly outshot you, and you could you could combat with them. They were faster, but you could try to use your tricks to dictate things and make charges. But um, I'm, I'm with it. I think if you can build sisters for the top and you can play them well, I totally think sisters have what it takes to go farther than people expect. All right. Well, let's, yeah. we be, well, let's not go too deep into the matchups here. That's for part two. Indeed, but it is. I, I love that. I love, Mitch just made the sound that every player makes when they find out they're coming up against either Eldar or Tau or Custodes. <laughs> like in their next game, when you win a game and you go, "Oh, my next game is against Tau." Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the noise you make. Right. So, so at least uh, Custodes listen. come close so I can punch them. Tau <laughs> right. and Eldar deserve the disdain. All right. Yeah. Let's close so, this list out. Oh, go ahead. Retributors. One hundred percent. They have to. Right. You two squads, two by two squads, four multi melts, one cherub, a clean hundred and fifty points. You will never regret them. Just but do hold, it. Hold on, I'm putting I'm putting one in the list right now because you do want your melts <gasps> in here, um, and they get so much for more of involved. They get real ones to hit and wound if they were on the table already. They get their full rerolls hits. Valorous heart. They can ignore the, the hit negatives, uh, which is great if you're ever getting out of a rhino or something. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about what other heavy supports we want. I'm a big fan of the Exorcist right now, because in a pinch it can be indirect, and uh, I don't say I'm not saying you need to do indirect every turn, but there are just some games where not having an indirect fire weapon is going to make your life hell. So, Mitch, are you with me that we are putting at least one Exorcist to the list? I think it is wildly mediocre, but you need it to the last target that is moderately safe, and it fits the bill, and sometimes it doesn't horribly disappoint you when it shoots. Sometimes. So yeah, um, I'm with you. I mean, I've, I've been swingy. Sometimes I spend 2 CP to kill a Necron warrior. Sometimes I spend 2 CP to kill a Hellion squad. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. One week they picked up four Hive Guard behind a wall. It was the best thing it's ever done in its entire life. And the next week it failed to kill a single Space Marine when there was one left on an objective. It's just how it goes. Exorcist life. Exorcist yeah. life is rough. Um, I so feel like get... Exorcists are not alone in this, though. There are so many units and so many different armies. Necron players listening are going, because so much of what you guys have been talking about applies to other armies as well. Yeah. You know, and, and, and particularly earlier on when you were saying, you know, it's got good punch when it gets close. It's a real sort of mid-range shooting army. And the whole time I'm thinking, I hope Necron's players are listening to this because there's there's <laughs> so many similarities here. And uh, even things like that, what you just said, sometimes it doesn't horribly disappoint you when it shoots. That's almost, there are so <laughs> many units and so many other armies that have that exact profile. Right. So right now, I'm, uh, this is something Mitch and I are going to disagree on, but we may talk about it a little more in part two, maybe even in a future episode of his podcast. Uh, with one Exorcist Ooh. and one Retributor squad in, uh, we both are going to put a 150-point unit in. Mitch is going to say you put a second Retributor squad in because that's 150 points. I am going to say you put a cascade. Don't do in. it. I'm, no, I'm, he did it. I'm doing it. it. I'm putting a cascader in, 100. And that is because uh, I, as much as I love retributors, and maybe this is still some bloody rose habits where they would come out and like just die. Um, but when a cat, when a retributor squad just goes out and fires its, and belts and then dies immediately, I'm like, yeah, that was cool. But you know, 150 points for one shooting phase, a little mediocre. I actually like the castigator because it provides a very long range guns. On a relatively durable target that can just sit. It's not like durable, durable. It's a, it's a it's a predator. But I can just park it in the very back of my deployment zone and shoot with long range guns and usually not get shot back because there's not a ton of las cannons right now. 
Um, and I actually like it more in Valorous Heart because if it's getting shot by indirect Night Spinners and Hive Guard, it will be more durable than, uh, than it would have been otherwise in, a, in another order. So uh, I'm not going to spend too much on it, but either way, there's a third heavy support slot. It's going to cost 150 points. We're in agreement on that? Yeah. All right. The done. contrary to me wants the Castigator to be correct because no one's playing the Castigator right now. Mm-hmm. The one thing I'd say about the Multi-Melt Retributors is this list really likes a Hospitaller as well because okay. she gives a 6-up Filmo Pain to the Saxons and also can bring back D3 per turn for, for a command point. There is few. There are few things sweeter in this life than using a Miracle Dice to save that last Retributor and then regrowing the other three Multi-Melts back the next turn. It happens shockingly often with the shenanigans we can play with probability. I'm just going to say that's fun and it's cool. It's also credible. But it's 150 points either way, so we'll just we'll just switch them in and out, right? Maybe right now there's retributors. Maybe I'll change it to cascaders when no one's looking. Um, so I, I went ahead and put the hospitaler in just now. So just so we we know where we're at, we've got about 220 points left. Okay, and we, sure. have, we have zero rhinos. I feel like right. I thought you were going to say we have zero repentia. As a person who doesn't play sisters and has only played against sisters, we I haven't heard the word repentia come up yet, except for ah. one minor criticism uh. at the beginning. Oh, are I they don't in? Are they out? Are we are not, they're not even going to. Nope, they're not in. They're, they're not there. Wow. I'm with you. None to be found. I'm with you. Wow, uh, it's unfortunate. So far. Without the the attack buff from Bloody Rose and with current ways to shut off rerolls, they're not very good into Harlequins. They're not very good into Custodes. And into other armies, they just move six inches and charge. And at that point, they like really don't hit harder than Sacrosynths. So one of the reasons why I, and I'll, I'll speak for Mitch here, one of the reasons we're leaning towards Sacrosynths is that because uh, you can give them plus one to hit for one CP. Oh, yeah. So if your opponent is perhaps of an army that will tell you not to reroll your hits, you can be like, fine, no problem. <laughs> but I'm just going to hit on twos. I'm just going to hit on twos. I won't reroll the ones. And I'm going to go in. But when you go in with Repentia and you, you know, you can spend a CP to ignore him hit modifiers and then you'll hit on threes. But even then with no rerolls, it gets a little dicey. I don't like threes, no rerolls. Um, I just like the Saracens better. And it's only it's only two points more for a Saracen than a Repentia. And they are right. tougher. And they are the same speed. If there are no rerolls, the Saracens probably hit harder without, and then they have better strat support. And they contribute more to the game plan of be tough. So Repentia... You're also discounting the cost of the Repentia Superior. Which is a requirement if you're running Repentia. So suddenly you got to find another 40 points, 45 points for that Repentia Superior, too. So they're not actually cheaper, really. Yeah, I don't want to find another three assassinate points. Thank you. <laughs> so they're, yeah, you're already doing pretty well for giving the opponent assassinate points. Yeah. So, um, so Repentia are out, but Rhinos. So you're going to need Rhinos to get those troops so up the board, right? We're, we're putting they? one in at a bare minimum, although I'm going to argue for 100%. a second. How many Rhinos do you think? I won't argue hard against you. I, one is mandatory, if for nothing else than to jump Battle Sisters out and retrieve Knockman Day to turn one, because they get the n- three-inch disembark, so they can get six inches over the line. Actually really, really important. Shockingly important, considering how minor it sounds. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're just one round is great. Hide behind a wall, put Battle Sisters in it, put Rets in it. Or put ten Rets in it. Refill it with uh, Sacrosynths. Yeah, totally. Okay. So you're going to say one Rhino? What I... I think we should talk about what to do with those points. I think one or two is usable. I think the Battle Sanctum may have a role here, too, depending on your terrain. I'm definitely in line with the Battle Sanctum being talked about. You know I love the Battle Sanctum. And the big thing uh, for everyone who didn't pay attention to fortifications ever is that in uh, the (laughs) Nachman Mission Pack, you can replace one terrain piece with a fortification if you need to. So you can replace a cargo container with the Battle Sanctum, which is an 80-point obscuring light-covered Miracle Ice Factory, which is awesome. Love me some Battle Sanctum. The reason I actually wasn't really thinking of it is that 
the whole reason I'm I'm like with you on the Valorous Heart thing is because I'm tired of getting shot by indirect. And I'm like, ah, does the Battle Sanctum help here? It's a nice Miracle Ice. I don't mind that. So here's my question. What's the TTL for this list? We have the Exorcist. We have mm-hmm. Vol. What's the third one? The third one is one of the three Saxon squads. I Ugh. imagine that you don't push all three um, of the... I imagine you don't put all, th- all three of the... Uh, the whatever the Saxon units on the line and run them straight at the opponent. I think of like two in being a little more aggressive and one is kind of a cleanup unit. Um, if you take to the last and in some matchups you accept a 10, I will tell you 100% that if there was a Castigator in this list, which, you know, sure, there's Retributors, don't look, um, is that I would actually pay for a Stormbolt or a 100 killer missile to make it 160 to just tie the Saxons and get the choice. Mm. Yeah, um, agreed. Because a Retributor agreed will never be it to the last. Like, I don't want that. They're going to die. Um, but right now, like it's just Miss just agreed to a cast together on the list. Yeah, is agree. that what just happened? You just say yes. <laughs> uh, look, my reputation is uh, it's clearly <laughs> we started at the top of the show here. I got a different reputation. I'm a talker, not a player. So, you know, go for it. I'm going to take the hot take. It's what I need anyway. All right. So we'll, we'll, we've got one rhino. Um, are you thinking that the value of the battle sanctum is that it can be used to preserve your to the last? It is absolutely so that I can do leap of faith instead of to the last. Okay. Because it gets you the Miracle Dice you need to get over the line consistently. Yeah. And it's 80 points, right? 80 points. It's so it's a great the same roll. cost as a Rhino. Yep. Okay. So you so can swap it for Rhino too if you want to. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's slot in a Battle Sanctum here. And if we do that, we have 60 points left. And we do have that Novitiate squad that you told me I was going to cut. We do. Uh, the last thing I'd say is, unless you're a John-level player, candidly, you're going to struggle to keep any of those sacrosants alive. Like, what's going to happen is they're going to go out, they're going to rumble, they're going to get killed, but hopefully slowly enough that you win the game on points. Mm-hmm. I think you need to be really tippy top tier to have a reliable 15 for to the last. Now, I'm literally talking to John Lennon as I say this, but for <laughs> most of us out there, it's going to be a 10 most of the time. That's why I kind of like the battle sanctum for the to yeah. the last. And, and then, because if you do Leap of Faith and you have a battle sanctum, you're almost certainly getting up to, uh, you're almost certainly getting uh, like a 10-ish on uh, Leap of Faith anyway. Almost a 12 with that extra Miracle Dice. Hard not to, if you're okay. smart. Yeah. All right, I like it. So we've got 60 points to play with. We could cut an Evisciate squad, although I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep her in. What do you feel like we're missing at this point? Uh, what about that Palatine with uh, Word of the Emperor? That needs to get to like 80. Yeah, that's a Palatine is 45, right? 85 with 85 Word, with Word yeah. of the Emperor. Yeah. So we're, we're about, yeah, we're about uh, 25 points off. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, cut sacrosins? Don't say that. Um, right now we've got... You also have access character. to an Inquisitor? That's Inquisitor's exactly also where I'm, I was going. Is I would rather have the Inquisitor yeah. right here. Uh, the, the, what I was actually thinking was, if for cutting those 25 points, is that you could take Draxus instead. Because Draxus yes. is an Inquisitor, like others, who basically gets targetable smite. She has a Power Fist, an Eldari Shuriken weapon, which we're going to ignore and the big thing is that whatever Draxus charges, she puts fight last on that. And so she's a great way of dealing with enemy fight last, where you lose the defensive be- benefit. You don't get the defensive part of fight last. But if you're trying to charge with multiple targets, where Word of the Emperor is very useful, Draxus brings half of that and is a psyker to unlock psychic secondaries. I'm with you. I'm I with also you on this. really don't hate the fact that, uh, you know, I mean, you with Valorous Heart, you are kind of building I'm going in the middle as your game plan. I don't mind having Draxus in there. She is very easy to hide behind the Sacrosant wall. 
So if yep. you need to mentally interrogate or anything like that. Also, her warlord trait, which is free built in, uh, well, for one CP, I should say, is reroll casts or deny or hit or wound. So she can very reliably pass her spells that she needs. So I'm I'm a fan of Draxus right here. We would just need to find 25 points. Yeah, I mean, two Saxons is 32. You could cut them both and then put a couple of spears or a couple of uh, flamers in to give yourself access to plus one wound from Leap of Faith, or so Holy Trinity. So I think, yeah, you just do that. Cut two sacks, sprinkle a few upgrades, and call it Draxus. Yep. But okay. the last thing I'd say about this list, having played it a bunch, or variants of this list a bunch, not this exact one, mine doesn't have 20 novitiates in it, is this is very much a list that thinks deeply about secondaries and wins or loses on its secondary game. Opening up mental interrogation dramatically eases up a number of matchups, and I think it's nearly straight wrong to not give yourself access to a good secondary mental interrogation. 100%. Plus, I just like having extra denies when you have things like Eldar, who are a very good psychic army right now. Um, but also, yep. Eldar are not an army you can abhor the witch against, which is it's the most annoying thing. They're a great psychic army that you can't take abhor the witch against. So, like, I say slap the Inquisitor in. I think this list is actually totally fine in Grey Knights, 4,000 Suns, because they're both AP2 heavy shooting armies with mortal wound output. And Valorous Heart naturally plays into that, so you you don't lose a War the Witch as far as I'm concerned. Like, I, I just don't care that I'm losing it. I get better secondaries and everything else. Yeah. Can I throw out one alternative for these last few points, just to talk about it? Yeah. Uh, let's say that we're going to stick with this list for part two, and when we can talk about how it'll perform. But just as an option out there, uh, Ephriel Stern and Kaiganil, 120 points, bonkers durable, got some smites, strength six, ignore involves. Amazing elf killer, maybe the best elf killer in sister's book because strength six ignore your involves. Uh, you know, no elf crap. And she leans into the durability theme. Getting through 30 sacks and her is actually a chore. And so I think she's aligned with the goal of the list. So. She really is. I was actually wondering if she would make the cut instead of the canoness, but I think we had to have at least one of the the blessings of the of the faithful. Um, I was you really could looking. Turn those novitiates into three battle sisters, and that's a hundred points. That's or almost a stern. If you cut the the canonist with Emperor's Grace, and you just put uh, her in, then that's it right there, and you still keep the novitiates. Uh, she's close. Yeah, yeah, she's close. Um, stern is an HQ, right? She is an HQ. Yeah, right, good. Just need to make sure that she'd fill a slot. So for right now, I think we're going Draxus. We cut a uh, uh, two sacrosants, and uh, you just add a couple, sprinkle a couple points in, and I think that's a list. I think that's it. There we go. Great. All right. All right. Wait, that's the whole process. Uh, he just—he wasn't giving up those novitiates. Mitch. He's, I, he's I was completely like... unwilling to give up the novitiates. Like 100, they're staying. In. <laughs> you got to pick your battles. You got to pick your battles. They're going on pre-order like this week. I can't give up on them now. Totally. Yeah. We started the conversation with, "Hey, I'm willing to negotiate," and then ended it with, "I was never going to negotiate." That was never. Gonna <laughs> I had I love faith. Mitch, the core of the list is 30 sacks involved. That's the core. Everything else is flavor, honestly. So. There you go. So for people who, uh, and this would be a crazy decision, but I understand that some people will potentially make this decision. For people who aren't going to go on and listen to part two of this episode, uh, I know. I don't, I, I'm not sure why that could happen. Ooh, why? Who? who are you? Who? I don't know. The mortifier. But just in case, uh, for people who are ending their journey here and their journey in learning and winning with sisters, um, where can they find you, Mitch? Oh, yes. So the reason why I talk so much about sisters is because I host a show called Sister Act 40K, uh, not to be confused with Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, we literally just talk about sisters. So if you thought an hour and 15 minutes to decompose one list was not a lot of effort, 
I agree. Let's do it for three more hours, baby. Uh, we do deep dives on single units. We talk to black library authors. We do lore. We do competitive. We bring in, it used to be event winners. Now it's more like X and one players, but we bring in the top minds for our faction in particular. Uh, all sisters all the time. Come check us out. Yep. Nice. All right. Great stuff. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Really appreciate it. Yep. In a world where you're going to get punched. <laughs> tune, into, <laughs> tune into Sister Act. Uh, thanks, Mitch, uh, for being here. Thank you, John. We are going to go on to uh, part two of this episode now, in which we're going to take the list that these two genius men have between them agreed on, uh, which is to say uh, the one with the castigator and the extra novitiates. And we are going to see how it plays against Custodes and Tau and Pointy Ear Things and other armies besides. Because as Mitch has pointed out and John has agreed with, if you take Custodes Tower out, then there's real play with this army into so many other army archetypes and so many other builds and so many factions that people are going to be bringing up against you. So, sisters players, stand by. We're ready to go for part two. Uh, in the meantime, if you are not a subscriber to The Art of War, please, can I encourage you to do that? Go to theartofwar40k.com and subscribe to things like The War Room, where you're getting so much great content, so much learning all the time. The goal of these amazing coaches is to help you become a better player at this game that we all love. Theartofwar40k.com. In the meantime, I'm Steve Joel. Thanks for being here. See you next time. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com